Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Mark McGuire. Victor, pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Well, Mark, you have an unusual journey into the world of real estate investing. For the folks who don't know you, maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, so my my road was a winding one for sure. I um, actually got started uh, at playing in playing in a band professionally, and um, went from playing in a band to um, and being a part of property management while I was playing in the band and starting to see what it was like to fix up properties. Kind of transitioned into real estate sales from there. Once you know, I realized. You made money in sales, but didn't it didn't make you wealthy? Had to figure out what to do with it. Had to figure out you know how to make it make money perpetually because January first in sales you start over. So started investing heavy, got involved in residential, then started you know buying bigger units, and then started to learn the world of commercial. And once I saw what commercial could do, I just never looked back. So here we are. I love that. I know quite a few musicians who have made the transition from being professional musicians to the world of real estate investing. Some of them did it quickly, some did it slowly, but I know a lot of folks that have done that because let's face it, I mean, I remember when I was doing sound reinforcement back in the in the 1980s for lots of bands and it used to be that a bar band could get 1200 bucks in a night. Today that's no longer the case. A bar band is getting maybe 3 400 bucks in a night, which is crazy to me. You cannot survive as a musician on that on that kind of an earning. Now, I mean, you can, if you get in with the right scene and the cover scene, I mean, you can make good money, but the problem is then you hit a ceiling and you hit it super hard. There's only so much uh, money in the live performance aspect because covers don't sell out arenas. You just don't. So if you don't sell out arenas and you don't have any residuals coming in from the realties and the songwriting credits of the songs that you wrote and produced, then you know, you're just limited. Exactly. And even musicians that have successfully got those residuals and the royalties and all the rest, they've often used real estate to smooth things out as a, as a supplement so that they can continue to do what they love, but have their lifestyle funded by real estate. And so that's made a tremendous difference for a lot of musicians. Yeah. No, I mean, I will put it to you this way. The musicians that I was around, we were, we were a pretty young bunch it was kind of like a sieve. You just kept pouring money into it and, and it just, there was none left by the time it was all said and done. So a lot of my guys are younger, but I mean, a lot of the musicians who are older that are, you know, that did make it and were smart with their utilization of, of the wealth that they built. Music doesn't last forever in that way. You're only marketable for so long. Exactly. So fast forward to today, you're in multiple different asset classes. You're very active in self-storage. Why don't we do a little bit of a deep dive on that? And what's the focus? What's the strategy in, in your storage business? Yeah. So um, with Hearthfire Capital, we focus on secondary and tertiary markets. And, and we do value add self-storage where we're targeting mom and pop single, maybe two story or excuse me, two facility owners that don't have a lot of complexity. They don't have a lot of sophistication. There's poor revenue management policies in place. And there's no there's not a lot of utilization of technology. So we try to bring a modern twist onto you know, an older self-storage setup to maximize revenue and drive down expenses. So we often hear about 
storage facilities that were part of that cottage industry, trying to bridge the gap between something that might be more institutional quality. Some facilities just don't lend themselves to that. They're not air conditioned or they're not climate controlled. They simply aren't going to become a class A facility. Some go the approach of reducing staff count and more electronic access in order to just reduce expenses that way. What's your approach? Are you trying to bring in multiple streams of income, just juice the rents? What What's the approach? What works? Yeah. So, I mean, our emphasis is really on acquisition and buying right. All of those things that you just named are levers that you can pull to drive down expenses and drive up revenue, honestly. You know, we seek to automate as much as we can to reduce man hours. I mean, that's what we do. Sergio and Corinne have tech focus. That's their background. So wherever we can add technology and it adds to the value equation rather than subtract from it, that's what we'll do. That all being said, you can have the best technology in the world, but if rents are all the way at the top of the market and there's only a couple of points to trim in in expenses, like you can only control value so much at that point. So you just got to identify where the opportunities, right? And you have enough runway uh, to be able to pull your levers. Are you starting to see the influx of institutional money attacking secondary and tertiary markets and stealing market share? Or can you effectively compete against those entrants that are coming in with sometimes very deep pockets? Great question. So yes, we are seeing more institutional capital coming in. Now it's not coming in as you would think from the like the REITs. It's actually more so coming in from private equity groups that are trying to roll up, you know, a large and aggregate a large sum of square footage to package to be able to exit to the REIT, which is effectively we're doing the same thing. We just are a couple of years ahead of that. So when returns got choked in the primary markets, people started moving out because even with low cost of capital, the cap rates kept going, you know, further and further and further compressed, where it was really challenging to buy it at at an accretive price. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So how do you know when you go into a market, you, you know, you live in an area just outside Philadelphia, I'm assuming you're casting the net much wider than that, not just investing locally. How do you know that if you acquire an asset, whether the market will be even receptive to higher higher rents, even if there's been below market rents for a number of years? It's a great question. Uh, we do an inordinate amount of due diligence on our market, and particularly within our three-mile and our five-mile ring. That's really where we spend the majority of our time looking because self-storage is hyper-local. They always say real estate's hyper-local. Self-storage is no exception. You got to look in the three mile and the five mile rings and, and the calculations that you're doing are what's the amount of population and what's the amount of supply of self-storage. And you're doing a calculation to understand how many square feet per capita of supply there is. And you know, in secondary and tertiary markets, you're looking from six to 10, depending upon how far out you're going, if, depending if it's secondary or tertiary. But in a secondary market, you're looking, you know, it's a little more dense, right? In tertiary markets, it's a little more rural. As, as, as you continue to go rural, it's going to have uh, less people. So the supply per square foot needs to be less. Plus, you have bigger properties, bigger houses where you're storing more stuff. So we spend a ton of time looking at the other competition around us, looking at their rates, looking at their occupancy, trying to get a sense of how full are they so that if we start to go and manipulate our rates and drive them up, 
are we going to have a mass migration to a facility that's down the road who you know is offering a price that is not in line with where we need to get our rents to be to drive the returns? Do you further segment the market in terms of almost designing a product for specific clients? I'll give you an example. If you are within a radius of a campus, a university campus or a college, students have certain needs for storage. That's a very clearly identifiable segment of the market. If you have people that are downsizing from a five-bedroom house moving into an apartment, that's also a very clearly identifiable segment and so on. Do you take it to that level or are you looking more broad brush macro in terms of how you analyze the market? So that's a good question. I mean, one of the things that we will do is look at our individual facility performance to see what's renting, what units are in demand versus what units are not in demand. As we're analyzing a site to possibly acquire it, you know, sometimes you may, we're looking at what they call the unit mix. And the unit mix is what is the makeup of five by fives, 10 by fives, 15 by five or 10 by 15s, you know, 10 by 20s, 10 by 30s, whatever your unit mix is. And that comes out to an average square foot per unit. So we'll spend a lot of time trying to identify what units are working well, and and then try to, like you said, try to figure out what's driving that success. Is it a college? Is it a, you know, a a really urban area with a, a ton of density? Or is it a really rural area where people have big toys or is it RVs? Is it boats that we're looking for all of those things and trying to figure out how can we optimize the performance per square foot? Mark, are there any specific geographies that you are targeting apart from just saying secondary and tertiary markets? Are there particular areas that you're going after that you really see a tremendous amount of opportunity? Yeah. So we like the uh, Eastern Midwest and we like the the Mid-Atlantic. Reasons being, uh, you know, Areas that are in the around the logistics and in the manufacturing and the supply chain, we really are bullish on those areas because they don't boom and bust like the coasts do. Um, they're better positioned in uh, a market that's you know poised to, for a downturn. I mean, we've been on the longest bull run, I think this country seen possibly ever. So we really like real estate that's focused um, in, you know, where there's diversity of manufacturing and logistics and the ability to, you know, it's just grade A real estate where it's just got a lot of um, connectivity. Yeah. We're in Indiana and Pennsylvania and like Illinois. So right around Chicago, I mean, our, our whole focus, like all, all the people who are renting our facilities, we wouldn't go class A. We, we don't have class A people where, like they wouldn't pay our rates at class A to pencil the deal. So where we are, um, you know, we're buying, call it C class, B class product, you know, taking C's to B's. And it's really, it's, it's the same thing as multifamily. The difference is, is that, you know, if you were to try to drop an A product in our market area, like our median incomes are 60,000. Like you're not going to go get a, you know, $18 per foot rent like people can't afford that, you know. But these are the same people who won't don't look at their credit card statements are honestly just they're not paying attention, man. It's just like it just they just have every year is just a year for them. It just chugs along. I love it. Well, Mark, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, best way to learn more about Hearthfire Capital and what we're up to is uh just investingwithmark.com. Mark is spelled with a K. 
Um, and then, you know, happy to connect via email, mark at hfireholdings.com as well. Fabulous. Well, Mark, love the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Mark McGuire at investingwithmark.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.